Today's passage is Psalm 50. The Mighty One, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes. He does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire. Around him, a mighty tempest. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me, my faithful ones, who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world and all its fullness is mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. But to the wicked, God says, what right have you to recite my statutes? Or take my covenant upon your lips, for you hate discipline, and you cast my words behind you. If you see a thief, you are pleased with him, and you keep company with adulterers. You give your mouth free reign for evil, and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done and I have kept silent. You thought that I was one like yourself, but now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. Mark this then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. This is God's word for God's people. Well, good morning. I'm Scott. I serve here at Providence as one of the elders. And as Andrew was laying out the Psalms, he asked if I would be willing to jump in here on Psalm 50. And so here we are. This is the last Psalm of the series. And Psalm 50 declares God as judge. And he's going to summon the whole earth to a court hearing. And for some of us, this is part of his character that we really don't like to dwell on so much. It can make us uncomfortable, can bring maybe a little anxiety. But what I was really encouraged by this psalm is the psalm, though God is judge, he is for us, he's not against us, he's not willing that any should perish, and that even with the wicked at the very end of the psalm, he was willing to be compassionate and extend grace to if they will just receive it. And so 
Uh, that encouraged me a, a lot this last number of weeks as I was studying it. And so the, even though he is judge, it doesn't mean he also can't be compassionate. And even though God is love, it doesn't mean it disqualifies him for being a judge, that all these can work together. And we're going to see that in this psalm. And so the big takeaway is this, that God is looking for a personal relationship with him. And we're going to see what that looks like in Psalm 50. And he's really going to zero in on the heart. And we can do all these things. We're going to get into that a little bit. But so if we were to break this psalm down into three sections, verses one through six, the judge summons the earth. And like I said, you can get a little nervous because like, the idea of standing before a judge, what's the sentence going to be, what's the outcome going to be. So we're going to look at that, verses 1 through 6. And then the, the second two parts, really it's the, there's a court scene with God's people and then a court scene with the wicked. And so it breaks down pretty simply in those components. So, and the idea, the court scene with God's people, there's, there's no sentence given, there's just a rebuke, but he clarifies what he's looking for in a relationship. And the court scene with the wicked the death penalty is actually given, which is pretty sobering. But the good news is he actually offers a way of salvation, a deliverance, how to overturn the death penalty. And so we're going to look at that. God's grace steps into that. Okay, so this first section, pretty simply, we're going to look at God as the judge. And I like the word Selah, so we're just going to bring out that, out that a little bit. Um, okay, so how many, how many, does anybody work in Council Bluffs? Okay, very good. We got, a, we got a hand or two? Okay, I worked in Council Bluffs for about one year. And I don't know if everybody, you don't I guess have to work there to understand this. On Broadway, there's in some other streets, there are the camera cops. Are you familiar with the camera cops in Council Bluffs? Yeah, I am very familiar with the camera cops. And they basically take pictures of cars that if you run a red light, poof, you see the light light up and they take your picture. And then, so I get a letter from the state of Iowa this is several years back, but I thought, what in the world is this? And here's a ticket for failure to stop when turning right on a red light. And I thought, you got to be kidding me. And they, they'll give you, there's pictures, that, that's my truck. But I thought, they're just pictures, they're still shots. They can't tell if I'm moving or not moving. And then there's this video link that, okay, this is going to be good. I get on there and I'm watching this link and it's like, I slow down, but I don't completely stop. I thought, I think it was like $200 or something. It's like, be thankful it could be 400 if it was a real person or whatever. I thought, and so I got caught by these cameras. And uh, what's interesting is there's a sign about a half a block before you get there. Hey, this intersection is controlled by, I don't even know what the term cameras or whatever it is. As a warning, pay attention, take note. If you go through here and it turns red on you, we get your picture taken. And then you get a ticket in the mail. And so I experienced that. And so when I, when I think of this portion here that we're going to look at, the judge summons all the earth, that God is judge, even though God's not videotaping your life, he could call up your life at any time he wants to and document, hey, this is what happened here. This, I can show you with indisputable evidence, guilty, guilty, guilty. But we'll see also in the midst of all that, God's grace, grace, grace. And so... Uh, another aspect with God, then as a, as a result of that, there's no jury, there's no disputing the evidence, there's no witness stand, no deliberation. I mean, God as the almighty judge will declare innocence or guilty. And we're going to look at this portion, and I think you'll find that, that through that all, God is still very gracious and, uh, and merciful. All right, so 
Also, just one more note. So as you're going, to, so the camera cops, I call it, the signs posted, pay attention. Well, the same way with scriptures, God gives us the scriptures, hey, pay attention. There's a framework which to live by and we're accountable for that. And God graciously is gonna work us what that really looks like. All right, so let's jump into the scriptures and I'm just gonna walk through this portion as God as judge and just highlight a few things. So we have the mighty one. I mean, he is the supreme ruler. Uh, God, the Lord speaks and summons the earth. And it's from the rising of the sun to its setting. And so he is the judge. He's calling the earth. And out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. So you see this really cool picture of who God is. And in verse three, it's kind of interesting. There's a little bit of a contrast there. It says, our God comes. He does not keep silence. Before him is this devouring fire. So in context, it could be pretty scary. I mean, you think of the news and all of the, the fires in California, whatever. It is devouring everything in its path. And then it says that there's a mighty tempest. There's this very violent, windy storm. It's one of those storms where Bill Ramby says, seek shelter, right? I mean, you're watching the news. Okay, this is going to be here in five minutes. Okay, seek shelter now. And so it's that kind of context where God is as the judge, and it can be pretty scary. But what is cool, it goes on, he calls to the heaven above and to the earth that he may judge his people. But then the light shines forth a little bit where it says, gather to me my faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. And that's gonna be the difference between death and life. And we're gonna look at that a little bit later as well. <clears throat> and the heavens declares righteousness for God himself is judge. So everything that he's gonna do is right, it's just, and it's fair. And so that is the God, but he, and it says Selah at the end. And what I like about the word Selah, even though we don't really dwell on that much, but it's the idea of it's a prompt to cause you to stop and reflect on what I just said, because it's going to be pretty important because it's going to set the stage for what's to follow. And so we need these Selah moments where we take it in, pause, meditate. Okay, what is this really saying? And so I like the word Selah, and we're going to bring that out throughout this message. So the stage is set. God speaks, pay attention, Selah. And so we're gonna look at the first couple, the first court scene, and this is with God's people. And as we go through this, it really breaks down in, in two parts. And we're gonna look at the issue, and then God at the very end will give the solution or the sentence, and both, both court scenes are very similar to this. And so on this one, he's gonna clarify, you're my people, I'm your God, your God, O Israel. And so what he's going to start laying out here, and I'm going to call this performance-based obedience. You're checking the boxes. And so it says, not for the sacrifices do I rebuke you. So he's going to go through the list. In the Old Testament, there was dozens of sacrifices and offerings. And God says, hey, I'm not rebuking you for doing that. That's what you're called to do. So he says, not for the sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your idols. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hill and all that moves in the field is mine. And so he's, and then if, you were, if I were hungry, I, w I don't really need to tell you that. For the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you. And so he's gonna clarify the relationship and at the very end is gonna talk about what I really am after is the heart. I'm not after so much of, yeah, you're doing this, you're doing this, you're doing this which is what I'm calling you to, but he wants more than just a performance-based relationship. And the verse I was thinking of, you know, man looks on the outward, but God looks on the, at the heart. And that's what he's really after here is the heart. And so you can look at all your externals where I give financially, check. 
Uh, I give my time to the church, check. I attend church regularly, check. I sacrifice for the good of others, yeah, check. I use my spiritual giftings to build God's church. I read my Bible, I'm careful with my words, check, check, check. That performance-based. And to be honest, God says, okay, that's great. I called you these things, but where's your heart in all of this? And my story, probably 25 to 30 years into my Christian walk, uh, the Lord was calling me out on this because I was a very performance-based Christian, checking the boxes of obedience, but my heart necessarily was not in it all. And I think part of that sends back to my earthly father. I'm surprised how much our family of origin really affects who we, how we see God and perceive God. And so my father's super performance-based. And I grew up in that context, knowing, only really knowing that. And I don't remember ever hearing the words, I love you. Uh, if he did, I don't remember. I don't remember any praise words. I'm, I'm thinking, surely he had to praise me at times, but I don't remember those words. But when you did something wrong, I mean, the hammer came down. Those I remember. And I was very performance-based. You got to do this. You got to do this. You got to do this. And that was a huge shift. And my wife was calling me out. I was like, hey, you're performance-based. I said, no, I'm not. And, it, and it, took a, it took probably a year for me to realize I'm living my life on a performance-based condition. For example, when Christ entered the scene in his public ministry, God says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And I'm thinking, now Christ is new to the scene now, new to the world. He's being introduced here. And God says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I thought, what has he done to earn that kind of praise? He has done nothing yet in my mind. He has done nothing yet in my mind to earn that kind of praise. And God's saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I'm thinking, I'm performance-based. What, what has he performed to get that kind of praise? And so things like that was jumping out to me, convicting me that I'm living on a performance-based situation, which was not healthy and not right. And my wife graciously walked me through that and was calling me out on it. But I was surprised that my earthly, my earthly relationship with my father affected my heavenly relationship uh, with, with God. And it was definitely salvation by grace alone. No question there. Service was performance-based. And I don't know, I think that's kind of, maybe it's wired us to be that way. Uh, but I definitely, salvation alone, grace. Service, I had to perform for God. And that's not what he's calling us to. God loves me unconditionally despite my mess. This relationship is not based upon uh, performance I mean, it was not established upon performance and it's not being maintained upon performance. And I don't serve out of fear, I serve out of love. It's praise the Lord God for walking me through that. That he's for me and he's not against me. I remember coming to Providence just three or four or five years ago and we sang a song that's, I don't even know the name of the song, God's for us and not against us. But I remember singing that and as I was singing that, it's like, I mean, I had to pause and think, well, he's for me, he's not against me. I mean, it was like God is just reinforcing this in my life. And it's like, it almost brought me to tears. It's like, well, you're for me, you're not against me. Because that was a performance-based mindset. And so what helped me to think, okay, how do I know if I'm performance-based or not? And if I went back over this list I initially gave you, and you know, I give to the church. Well, I am thankful I can give to the Lord's work. I mean, that's really cool that God has allowed us to be able to give. Whether it's two nickels or two dollars, whatever it is, I'm thankful I can give to the work of the Lord. I'm thankful I have time to minister to others. I'm thankful that I attend church and can sing his praises. I'm thankful that I can use my spiritual giftings to minister to people, and I have a joy in doing that. I'm thankful I have a Bible to read versus, oh yeah, I need to read my Bible today. I mean, God, God is looking for a heart, a sacrifice 
that is a thankful heart. That's what he's gonna, the three things God is looking for, thankfulness. That's the sacrifice God is looking for. I'm thankful that, you know, that God has changed my whole world perspective and purpose in life. Offer to God a service, a sacrifice, a thanksgiving that comes from the heart. Yeah, all these things that the Israel people were doing, even us today, checkbox, 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 but is it coming from a heart of thankfulness, a heart of joy, and being able to be thrilled to serve the Lord in that capacity? So I was a check-the-box Christian, and I'm thankful that the Lord helped me. I mean, I can enjoy my relationship with the Lord way better now. I'm not on a performance-based foundation. Secondly, faithfulness, it says to perform your vows to the Most High. Uh, for those who went on the women's retreat, my wife spoke on this, the inner vows, and that's a message in itself, but inner vows could be such like, well, I'm never going to trust anyone again because you've been burned. That's kind of like a vow. I'm never going to trust anyone, or I'll never let anyone control me because you've had a miserable experience, or I'll never be like my father because it maybe was not the best relationship. I will become successful to prove my worth to my parents. I'll make sure people like me and do, do what it takes to be accepted. And the reality is God says, don't be just kind of casual with these inner vows, so to speak. That God has to be part of the equation. In other words, by his grace, I will be successful. If that's what he wants, I'm going to depend on him for that. Or by his grace, I'm going to be a good example to the brothers and sisters around me and to the world around me. It's by grace. God is part of that component. It's not me, I'm going to do this, me, I'm going to do that. And, and the reality, the big picture, there's probably about 30 references of vows in the Bible, most of them from the Old Testament. We do have, <coughs> have our wedding vows like for today and there's a few others. But it's, it's a good, Matthew 5, 20, 33 to 37 is a good reference. And this is Jesus speaking. Again, you have heard that it has been said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you've sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than that comes from evil. And so the principle here of faithfulness is be faithful to your spoken word. What you've said, you're going to keep. In other words, don't say one thing and do something else. That what you say, you're faithful to your spoken word. So he wants thankfulness, faithfulness, and dependence. And then that third part says, call on me in the day of trouble, and I'll answer you. You'll glorify me. God encourages us. When we, and we, we walk through times of trouble. Call on me, he says. Depend upon me. Four chapters earlier in Psalm 46, it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Call on me in the day of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the sea. And the guy, God is my refuge. It has, he's my safety. He's my safe place. And so when earlier in the chapter, when you're talking about God is judging this violent storm and this devouring fire, he's my refuge. Those who know the Lord, he is my refuge. He's my safe place. And I can call upon him in the day of trouble. He brings peace in the midst of the storm. So there's no situation that you'll ever face where God is not in control. And amen to that. I, I praise him for that. And we can say with confidence that he will never leave me nor forsake me. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? He says, call on me. He wants a heart posture of thankfulness. He wants a heart posture of faithfulness. And he wants a heart posture of dependence. And so be careful that you're not this 
check the box, obedience type Christian, because I live that, and I'm easy to fall back into that, but that's not what he's after. Okay, let's jump to the court scene with the wicked. So I'm going to just break the big picture, four parts. You have no relationship with God. You embrace unrighteousness. Your words reveal your heart, and you shape God into your image. And so again, we're going to look at the issues and then what the sentence is. And so I inserted the ones in box. They're not inspired. Those are my words. Uh, But here's kind of the breakout. It says, you have no relationship with God. The wicked says, what right... He says to the wicked, what right have you to recite my statues and take my covenant on your lips? You can say, yeah, I can quote John three sixteen, But the reality is you hate discipline and you cast my words behind you. The NLT says you actually trash my words. You can quote some verses. You can say all these nice things that seem real biblical. The reality is you trash my words. You embrace unrighteousness. You see a thief, you're pleased with them. It's like, man, you see all the looting, everyone's breaking in the stores. Man, they're getting away with all this free stuff. Like you see a thief, you're pleased with them. You keep company uh, with adulterers. Your words reveal your heart. You give your mouth free reign for evil. Your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother and slander your mother's son. And then you shape God into your image. These things you have done and have, I, I've been silent. In other words, there's things that we do that are not right. And God's like, you don't say, well, God's not even pushing back on this. He must, you thought I was one like yourself. It's like, he's like one of the boys. It's like, no one, he's never complained about what I'm doing. He's just like me. But silence doesn't condone behavior, right? And God finally says, I'm going to speak up and I'm going to tell the truth. And so we had to remember, silence does not mean consent. So a New Testament reference, I follow a lot of neat verses that New Testament kind of parallels. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, Sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. And it's what's interesting. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die. I mean, just like our portion here, they're on death row, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them. And so, to me, it was neat to see some New Testament parallels that people could care less. They know that there should be consequences to this, but they don't care. They don't care. Okay, so God delivers the death penalty, and he says, I will tear you apart. I mean, pretty descriptive language. I will tear you apart, and there'll be none to deliver. And some versions have when it says, mark this, it actually says, repent. And again, another New Testament parallel is John 3, 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And that's pretty scary. I mean, that's the reality. You want to talk about a Salem moment. This is like a Salem moment. Really understand what is being said there. When I was on a mission trip to Honduras, it was a bilingual camp, kids about 12 to 14. And I, to be honest, I'm not really a kid person. I don't know, for some kids, I, I have four kids of my own, but I didn't really do the best with them. But, you know, God's grace, we got through all that. So we had a bilingual camp, and these kids that were coming here were from rich parents. The kids did not want to be there. The parents thought, okay, my kids get to be around English speakers. English is very valuable. They're here to really learn English, and the kids could really care less. Very disrespectful, 
to God and to authority. Uh, we were memorizing a verse that ended with Jesus, our Lord. Well, one of the kids were quoting, he goes, well, Jesus Christ, your Lord. I said, oh, okay, that's, I understand what you're saying. It was, he's not my Lord, he's your Lord. And I remember before that, our Bible study was over. I, 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 was, I quoted the verse uh, that God has given him, Jesus, a name which is above every name. That in the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, whether in heaven or earth or under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And it's very important how it ends. It ends with, to the glory of God the Father. In other words, you're gonna conf- everyone is going to be required to confess him as Lord. And it's not going to be, okay, Jesus Christ is Lord. All right, you want me to say, sure, Jesus Christ is Lord. When you stand before the Lord, the Almighty, you're going to say, wow, he is Lord. And every knee's going to bow. And you're, you're going to be like, I mean, oh, speechless almost, but every, t- every knee will bow. Every tongue's going to confess. And that is a Salem moment. That's reality. That is a Salem, mo- Salem moment to really think about that. But in all that, okay, so you think, oh, man, that, that's, is it pretty harsh of God? Is it pretty hard of God? But what I was really encouraged by, that there's hope that God offers a solution. He offers a way to get off death row and provide abundant life, salvation. He says, the one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. It really harkens back to that previous court, scent, that court scene with the, those who know him. So it was a heart posture of thankfulness. And you're acknowledging your current lifestyle. So it says, um, I was thinking the goodness of God leads you to repentance. Order your, order your way rightly. So it's re, from rebellion to relationship. You're re, acknowledging, in a sense, it's repentance, acknowledging your waywardness from God in a heart posture. Thank you that you provided a solution. God says, I'll reveal salvation to you. I will allow you to get off death row. So going back to my camp in Honduras, I would say out of the top 10 hardest weeks of my life, this falls within the top 10 of my life. So it was a week-long camp. I was real careful what I was to eat because I, I, you hear all the stories, you're going to get sick if you eat something that's not right or something. I'm, I'm sure the camp food was good. Um, camp food normally good? I don't know. But I looked at it, I thought, okay, this can make me sick. I'm not going to eat. So I probably went through the whole week feeling sick. Uh, then in the, I was in charge of the bunkhouse. There's, I don't know, 12 of us in there or something. And somebody in the middle of the night was getting up, putting toothpaste in somebody's water bottle, Next night's putting uh, toothpaste in their tennis shoes or something. I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to stay up all night. And I'm going to catch this kid. And I, could, I kept falling asleep. I, I could never. And so I was exhausted. And then, I don't know, how many have been to Central America or South America? Okay, they have like the state bird, the rooster. I mean, four o'clock in the morning, outside my window. And I heard that sound so many times that I was chasing these chickens around or rooster around crowing at them. I was so upset at them. So I was exhausted. And then so towards the last uh, few days of camp, Felipe, who should not have been at this camp because he did not know English, um, he decided, lights out, everyone's to be quiet. He's going to start screaming every 10 seconds and keep everybody awake. And I, every, the English speakers tell him to shut up. I don't know what the Spanish speakers were telling him. And I, did, I don't know Spanish. But I thought, I got to knock this guy, take this guy out. Not knock out. I got to take this guy outside. Not knock out, sorry. So, because um, I thought, I got to, for everybody to get to sleep, I got to take him outside. So I, this is my, so I take him out. I don't know Spanish. I say, sit. He knew what that meant. He could t- read my nonverbal, like, I'm really upset. 
So I took my Bible. I thought, I got to wait till he gets super tired. He'll go in, he'll not make noise. And so I thought, I'll make the most of it. I'm reading my Bible. And I don't know if you've ever tried to read your Bible when you're totally ticked off with the guy sitting right next to you. It wasn't really going so well. And about 15 minutes into it, God says, show Felipe that you love him. I thought, uh, I don't know Spanish. He doesn't know English, so sorry, God, that doesn't work. And so a few minutes later, God says, show him that you love him. And I said, well, we've already had this conversation. And I don't know, it doesn't work. He says, well, put your arm around him and draw him near you and show him that you love him. I said, "Uh, I can't do that. Really, I mean, I was just being honest, I can't do that. He says, I know you can't. But he says, I can through you. And I thought, great. (laughs) And I really had to wrestle with that because I thought, here is God's mercy and grace. I mean, this kid, I I probably did want to knock him out, but I, you know, and it was like this slow motion, you know, contact and bring him near me. And I don't know what that did for Felipe, uh, he, didn't, I don't, he didn't really respond one way or the other. But for me, it showed me that without God's strength, I cannot do that. And the other thing it showed me is like in this portion here, God says, I will put my arm around you. You are on death row. I will tell you how to get off death row. I will offer you salvation and I will put my arm around you. And even more than that, I will, I will stretch my arms out on a cross and die for you and take the death penalty for you I will offer you salvation if you'll accept it. And the, the, the thing is, it's like the verse we read in Romans, like they know that and they could care less. And there's the consequences to that and the consequences to that. And so here in this court scene, I thought of another New Testament parallel, and this is in um, 1 John 2, 1 and 2. My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin, But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father, who is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is a sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. And so an advocate is a person who comes to our aid and pleads our case to a judge. So you have this court scene, and we have an advocate who is Jesus. He stands before us and says, price paid. And I think of this list that says, you know, we're guilty of, and here's this list of all the issues that were listed in Psalms. I sat on the throne of my life, and Christ says, price paid. I trashed your word, price paid. I embraced wrongful lifestyles, price paid. My mouth is vile and deceitful, price paid. I made you into my image, price paid. I lived an unthankful lifestyle, price paid. I, and you fill in the blank, and Christ says, price paid. Amen? Praise the Lord. I mean, if anyone's dusting, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is a sacrifice that atones for our sins. So you want to sail a moment. This is a sail a moment to really think about what Christ has done for us. And so as I thought about this portion, even if, like in this section, even if we trash his word, God says, I can redeem you if you will repent and turn from you know, acknowledge your, your past uh, ways, and he'll embrace you. And so as I looked at this song, I, I was just, when I first read it, and I was, you know, suggested to take this portion, I thought, wow, this is really a hard psalm. And as I started really meditating on it, I thought, 
We don't like to normally think of God as being judged, but he's very gracious. He's very loving. He's very merciful. He will reach out. Yeah, you're on death row. All of us were on death row at one time. And God says, I will take you off death row and I have someone who will pay the penalty for you. And it was Jesus Christ, our Lord. And even then backing up to uh, the court scene with the believers and those who were in relationship with him, he's challenged them, don't live a performance-based, check the obedience boxes, done, done, done. It's like, I want this to flow from the sacrifice of thanksgiving. I am so glad I can serve the Lord. I am so glad I can minister to people or give to the work of the Lord or whatever it is, read his Bible. I look forward to that. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, sometimes it's hard. It's not always perfect and God kind of reels me back. But to be careful not to do the checkbox of obedience. And then just to sum it up, the last slide. The judge summons the whole earth. Praise God that we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. All right, let's pray. Father, we do thank you so much for uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our advocate. Father, we thank you for psalms like this that stretch us a little bit, perhaps, and we got to really think about God as judge. What does that mean? What relationship are you looking for? And, and Father, help us that those who do have a relationship with you not to live in a performance-based context, that you love us unconditionally, whether we perform or not. Obviously, you have a framework to live by, and maybe we want to pursue that, but may it come from a heart of thankfulness and uh, faithfulness and dependence on you. And Father, for any who might be here that don't know you, Lord, may they realize the offer that you give them, salvation, Uh, We just praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ in that sense, that he died for us and rose again, and he's our advocate. And so we we thank you for this song. We thank you for this series and just hearing your your voice. And we do so in Jesus' name, amen. Praise God from whom all Blessings flow, praise Him, all creatures here below, praise Him above the heavenly host, praise Father, Son, and